Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called The Life of Christ, a study in the Gospel of Luke. In this series, we're spending time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Hey, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke chapter 10, the last five verses, and if you're using your Bible there, it's about three-fourths of the way back if you're getting used to where Luke is, one of the Gospels. If you're using a black Bible that we have in the seat rack there, if you want to turn to page 725, you can find it. We're going to look at verses 38 through 42, last five verses of chapter 10. This message is called, The One Thing. And I want to talk to you today about distractions. And I don't know if you have any in your life, but I have one in my pocket right here. Anybody seen this right here? <laughs> this iPhone has become a new way to be distracted, but before there were ever iPhones, there were plenty of other ways to be distracted. Would you all agree? Now, I bring up distractions because we've been talking about how we are fighting shallow Christianity. And we can say that all day long. And we can say it in our hearts and really mean it, but we better be ready for distractions. And this passage today actually has the word distracted in it, so I'm not just trying to, you know, extrapolate way out. I'm, I'm actually talking about why this passage means so much to me. Because if someone were to ask me, what's one of the greatest challenges, Jeff, for you to live the Christian life? I would say it's distractions. There's just so many ways to be distracted. So, if you haven't been with us, and I know for some of you, the drum uh, box is uh, blocking a little bit, but if you're able, we have banners on both sides, and uh, would you mind reading the banner as best as you're able out loud with me? Let's read it together. We are fighting shallow Christianity by becoming H3 disciples of Jesus who are hungry, humble, and hospitable. Now, would you mind just saying those three words again? We're really trying to get them to be part of us. Hungry, humble, and hospitable. Now, some of you say, like, why did you pick those three, and what about the order? Let me just say this quickly. One of the things we're learning as a church is that we value spiritual hunger. Why? Because it's always an evidence that God's at work. The Bible says no one seeks God, not on their own. Jesus said no one will come to me unless the Father draws them. That's just not our natural bent. Our natural bent is to live our own way. But when we're hungry, that's because God is already working in our lives, and that should encourage us. But the Bible also says is that while God works in us to make us hungry, he also says we must choose to be hungry and choose to continue to be hungry. So as Charles Spurgeon says, the Bible teaches God's sovereignty and human responsibility, both. The Bible says is that God is working. God is sovereignly working, but he also holds us responsible for our responses and our choices. And so we can choose to be hungry, humble, and hospitable. Well, once we become hungry, that begins to move us towards God. As we move towards God, he begins to challenge us to die to ourselves and follow him. And when that happens, that requires humility. You and I, I have to decide whether we'll be teachable, whether we'll be shapeable, whether we'll be guidable and directable, or if we're going to continue to go our own way. We can say, well, I'm hungry up to a point, but if we're hungry to the place of humility, then God can really begin to work in our life. Once we begin to become humble, then also he begins to enlarge the size of our hearts. 
He begins to open our lives not only to his word and to him, but also to other people. And that leads us to be more hospitable, to make room for not just ourselves, not just God, but for other people, not just people inside our church family, but people outside our church family as well. And that's the progression that God often does again and again and again in our hearts. We don't need to be hungry just once. We don't need to be humble just once. We don't need to be hospitable just once. This is a lifestyle that God calls us to again and again. So if you're following along, here's what I want you to see. We choose and never drift into becoming H3 disciples of Jesus. We choose and never drift into becoming H3 disciples of Jesus. If you're thinking that I'll just continue to be a Christian for a long time and it'll eventually happen to me, probably not gonna happen. You say, I'll just keep coming to church every Sunday and I'll become a fully devoted, growing H3 disciple of Jesus. Probably not gonna happen. I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in a church. I know that you can show up in a church building and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're choosing Christ in the ways that he wants us to choose him. So it's a choice. We're not gonna drift into it. Next thing I want you to see if you're following along in the notes is that if distractions are gonna come our way, If while we're choosing to be H3 disciples of Jesus, choosing to be hungry, choosing to be humble, and choosing to be hospitable, what are we going to do when distractions come our way? What kind of responses are we going to make? How are we going to choose? So how do we respond when we find ourselves, here's the word, distracted? Distracted. Now, some of you may say, like, like, why do we need to look at this today, Jeff? Well, I can't necessarily answer for you completely, but I can answer for me. I studied this all week long, and here's what I noticed. I still get distracted. I get distracted studying the Bible. I get distracted when I have good intentions. And here's what I've learned, is that distractions have consequences. Ask my family what it's like to be around me when I'm distracted, and they'll tell me it's not as pleasant. (laughs) And when you and I think about distractions, they can sometimes have large consequences. Sometimes they just cause us to miss what's most important. The point is, we all need help when distractions come our way if we're going to become H3 disciples of Jesus. So would you pray with me? And let's dig into this passage. Now, Lord, we ask that you'd be our teacher You know us better than we know ourselves. You know how we get distracted. You know how sometimes we're okay with distractions. Show us how to choose. Show us how to respond when we're distracted. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, I love this passage because it helps. Jesus gives us something very important. He tells us there's one thing we can choose when we get distracted, and I want to look at that with you. So here we are, Martha and Mary with Jesus, if you're following along. And I want to ask you if you'll keep your place after we read this, because I want to, at late in the message, I want to bring us back to another place in the next gospel over to the right, John's gospel. So here we go, Luke 10, verses 38 and 39. When we get to verse 40, I'm going to ask you to read it in the notes with me off the first gray box, and then verse 41 and 42 in the second gray box. Here we go. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. When we see that phrase, opened her home to him, out of the three H's, which one do you think of? Hospitable. We're doing good. Verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet 
listening to what he said. Now, would you read verse 40 and then 41 and 42 with me out loud? But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Then drop down. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. If you're following along the notes, here's what I hope you see. Martha opens her home to the Lord with her sister Mary. Martha opens her home to the Lord with her sister Mary. Now, I don't know if you know much about these two ladies, but they also had a brother named Lazarus. Jesus would eventually raise their brother Lazarus from the dead. It would be the final miracle that would seal his death. Jesus, by doing this, people knew that they were opposing him, that if they let this stuff keep going on, they were going to be in trouble. So, but they had a relationship with Jesus. Bethany was a bedroom community that was a little southeast of Jerusalem, just two miles. So here we have John 11:1 that tells us some of these details. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Martha, Mary, excuse me, and her sister Martha. And so this is a group of people that Jesus loved, loved, loved hanging out with. Have you ever had some people that just loved on you? Where you could just be yourself, where you could let your hair down, where you didn't have to worry about being criticized, attacked, demanded something from. You could just be yourself. This was the kind of house that Martha and Mary and Lazarus offered to Jesus. And the Bible teaches us that he stopped there on several occasions. And when he did, as he was traveling on the way to Jerusalem, he looked forward to being with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Now, uh, another thing I want you to see is that in this account, Mary sits at Jesus' feet listening to what he says. Mary sits at Jesus' feet listening to what he says. Let me make just several observations about this. First of all, if you look at Mary and the other places in the Gospels, I've listed it out to the right in John 11, John 12. Each time we read about Mary, she's the same place. She's always at Jesus' feet. That's an interesting picture, isn't it? There's something humble about that. There's something about her desire to know Jesus where she comes and is at his feet. Sometimes in desperation, sometimes just eagerness to learn, but she's at Jesus' feet. Second thing I want to tell you is that most of us in the West, we don't understand this phrase like people would in the Middle East. This was a term that was used of rabbis and their students. So the Apostle Paul would later say in his testimony, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a rabbi very well known. So what this is saying is, if you sat at a rabbi's feet, you were one of his followers. Only thing is, in Jesus' day, no rabbis had ever before allowed a woman to sit at their feet. It was only for men. What this teaches us about Jesus is that he has come to bring a different kind of revolution. We saw a few weeks ago that though children were considered second class or less in the culture of the day, Jesus esteemed them and said, unless you become like this child, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Learn from this child. Now we see him doing this with women, saying, you know, you can sit at my feet. I am a rabbi, but I'm not just about men. I'm about men, women, and children. I want everyone to sit at my feet. I invite everyone. I don't make exclusions. Friends, this is a beautiful picture to me, but it'll come back to be important in just a moment. That's why I'm bringing it up. Let me just say this. When When you think about listening to what Jesus says, Do you realize that's something that you and I can still do? This is one of the reasons why we challenge every person to be in the scriptures every day. This is why we're going through the Gospel of Luke. But look at what Colossians 3.16 says about this. Would you read it with me? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I love that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, not just Mary, but let his word dwell in you. You don't have to be a pastor, a missionary, or extra credit Christian. You can let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's why we're going through Luke, so that we can be with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. Next thing I want you to see is this, is that worried and upset, Martha tells Jesus to tell Mary to help her. That's a mouthful. Worried and upset, Martha tells Jesus to tell Mary to help her. Now, this is interesting. When you and I get worried and upset, That's when we begin to be more tempted to tell God what to do. And that's what Mary does. Mary basically says, look, listen, listen. This is not going the way it should be going. Don't you care, Jesus? Don't you care? And then he goes, tell my sister to help me. Okay? So not only tells Jesus what to do, he tells, she tells Jesus who to tell what to do. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've done this in total exasperation sometimes. We just go, God, you're not doing your job the way I thought you should do your job. We can go, wow, Jeff, that's really disrespectful. Friends, honestly, God already knows even if you don't say it. If you're thinking it, he already knows this. And what happens is, is that we were never made to be worried and upset all the time. So when we get worried and upset, it throws everything off and we start to actually blame and shift at all the other people rather than seeing the real issue. But that's what's going on here. Now notice, the reason why she's worried and upset, it tells us in verse 40, because if you look at that first gray box, do you notice the fourth word in? But Martha was, what's the word? distracted. Now, what's she distracted by, friends? Let's just talk about this, because this is real easy to take the tension away. She's distracted because she's doing something good. Let me just think about this with you. Have you ever had people into your house? If so, how many? Jesus, it tells us in the opening verse 38, wasn't by himself. Jesus and his disciples were on their way. Basically, it's like saying, hey, me and my football team are on our way. And she says, come on, I'll welcome you. I'll make room for you, not only you, Jesus, but also your disciples, 12. Wow, I don't know if you've had 13 extra people around your table, but that suddenly changes the score. Now you gotta go through your grocery list, now you you gotta go through your menu and say, what is it that I can make for that? And again, they didn't have the conveniences today. So this was honestly a genuine challenge. And some of us, when we think about this text, we go, look, I have real life problems. Does the Bible talk about real life situations or does it just say, you know, that 
you know, we need to become monks like Mary who sit at Jesus' feet rather than doing work. Is that what this passage is saying? Is that we got to quit our job to follow Jesus? That's not what it's saying at all, as we'll see. But she was distracted. Now, what's that word distracted mean? If you're following along, think with me about this idea. The word distracted means to be pulled away. So Martha's being pulled away by other things. If you're looking for another word for distracted, here's one, preoccupied. When you and I get preoccupied, other things can happen. I was reading, I told you this week, about being distracted, and so there was an interesting graphic where it shows people like this walking. And I don't know if you know this, but in the last 10 years, emergency room visits have gone up when people are walking with their phone. There's 1.3 million accidents, car accidents, vehicle accidents a year that involve a cell phone. The point is, is that when that's going on, we're preoccupied. We're not able to focus on the main thing. And Martha had invited Jesus into her house, and then she kind of couldn't really give him the attentiveness that she intended because she got caught up with the details. Does anybody else ever get caught up with details that you miss the main thing? Oh my goodness, it's so easy to do. And when that happens, she becomes worried and upset and like any of us, a nervous netty. The truth is, is when you and I are preoccupied, when we are distracted, we become more difficult to be around because there's this inner hurriedness that doesn't allow us to be present. Years ago, I read this. I've never been able to forget it. Eugene Peterson writes about what it's like to be a pastor, what it's like to be a follower of Christ. And here's what he says. I can be active and pray. I can work and pray. But I cannot be busy and pray. I cannot be inwardly rushed, distracted, or dispersed. In order to pray, I have to be paying more attention to God than to what people are saying to me, to God than to my clamoring ego. And usually for that to happen, there must be a deliberate withdrawal from the noise of the day, a disciplined detachment from the insatiable self. So there's no doubt about the fact that part of what this passage is showing is, is that there are times that we need to take chunks of time or somehow withdraw to be able to listen to Jesus. But if you think that's all this passage is about, I want to challenge that thought. I want you to see that that's actually not the biggest idea at all. So if you're following along, here's what I want you to see, is that Jesus tells Martha only one thing is needed, and Mary's chosen it. Jesus tells Martha only one thing is needed, and Mary's chosen it. Now this is very, very interesting. I told you before that women did not sit at rabbi's feet. So when Martha finally blows a gasket and walks into the room and talks to Jesus, part of what she's thinking is, Mary shouldn't be doing this. She should be helping me. That's what women do. That's part of what's going on. So the Greek language implies here that she's expecting Jesus to totally take her side and validate her. So she says, Lord, that's a very interesting way to start talking to Jesus. Lord, which means you're in charge. 
but now I'm going to be in charge of you. Lord, don't you care that my sister is leave, has leaving me to do all the work by myself? It's a fair question. Don't you care? Tell her to help me. Now, Jesus doesn't answer the way Martha's expecting. Notice what he says. Martha, Martha, you, by the way, that is a very loving way to speak. He's not just repeating her name because he doesn't know what to say next. <clears throat> He's saying, oh, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. As I put earlier, other things that are pulling you away from what's really important. Really, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the one thing and it will not be taken away from her. Hmm. Martha's going, interesting. And I don't know about you, but what's the one thing? What's the one thing? Let me just go back before we talk about the one thing and tell you about distractions. In the scriptures, we notice that you can be distracted in a number of ways. Martha was distracted by good things. She had opened her home to the Lord. She started out great. She started out with great intentions. Do you realize that as a Christian, you can do all kinds of noble things for the Lord? Your heart can be right in the beginning and all of a sudden there's a shift where you, what you started to do you know, for the Lord, what you started to do with the Lord, now all of a sudden you're doing it for him and he's not quite as involved in it or you're not as quite as involved with him. And that shift takes place. But there's other things that can distract us. The Bible says is that bad things can distract us as well. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but in James 1, it says... When you are tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. For God is, tempted, is not tempted by sin, and he doesn't tempt anyone. But each one of us is tempted when we are pulled or dragged away by our own selfish desires. In other words, what starts out as a little distraction can pull us completely away from a closeness with Christ. I'm reading a book right now that a friend's given me called Fearless. And the main character in this book is Adam Brown, a Navy SEAL. All through high school, he was the most respectful to his parents. And then in his senior year, he met a girl and he met some other friends who invited him to start on drugs. Eventually, he got involved in drugs so bad that he could never drive past a drug house without stopping and he literally changed. He started stealing from his parents. He started lying to his friends. He changed, his whole personality changed, all because he was distracted. Eventually, the good news is that Christ worked in his life, but it was a battle. Because distractions are often the battle. That's why we say, fighting shallow Christianity, we need to know that distractions are going to create a battle for us sometimes. Sometimes they're good distractions. Sometimes they're bad distractions. It's possible to do pastoral work and get distracted for the wrong reasons and good reasons. So let me go on. What's the one thing? What's the one thing? Do you want to know? What he wants most is our 
By the way, I'm skipping a line. This is, uh, sorry about this. What's the word needed? What's it mean? Needed. I love this. In the NIV, that's the word. Some of you also have other translations and paraphrases. The message says what is essential. The English Standard Version says what is necessary. And if you're following in the notes, the New Living Translation says worth being concerned about. Jesus says, look, there's only one thing that's needed. There's only one thing that's essential. There's only one thing that's necessary. There's only one thing in all of life that's worth being concerned about all the time, all the time. And you're getting concerned about how the preparations are going for this meal. That's a good thing, but it's not the main thing. It's not the one thing. What's the one thing? What's the one thing? Now we'll come to that line. Here it is. What's the one thing? What he wants most, not only from Martha and Mary, but from us. What he wants most is our attention. Is our attention. Does God have your attention? Does he have your attention? Does he have my attention? You know what attention is? Attention is when someone is paying attention to you with their heart and their mind, and they're not preoccupied, but they're giving you their attention. And nowadays, it's becoming rarer and rarer because we're all more and more distracted, amen? But when you and I think about giving someone our attention, what's the main thing? Our attention. So here's what Jim Symbolist said years ago. I've never forgotten. He's the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle. Let's read it together. What God wants most is our attention. So you say, okay, Jeff, remember how you said earlier about real life stuff? Uh, I have two little ones that are all younger than three running around my house. How do I give him my attention? Some of you are going, I have a boss that demands I work 75 hours a week. How do I give God my attention? Some of you are saying, I'm trying to take care of my elderly parents. How do I give God my attention? Some of you are saying, I don't have enough money to make it through the month. How do I give God my attention? Do you want to know? It's possible. Jesus wanted Martha to know this, and he wants us to know this. So yes, but how? Let's talk about learning to choose the one thing. The very first thing I'd say is if you want to learn how to choose the one thing like Mary did, here's the first thing I'd say to you. If you're following along in the notes, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. And as you listen to Jesus, hear him say this to you. Now, in my notes, those two blanks, you see those blanks right after that? I put my own name there twice. So I just suggest, put your own name there, okay? So for me, it's Jeff, Jeff. I'm not sure what it is for you, but put your own name there. And then here's what he's saying. You're worried and upset about. You're worried and upset about. What would you put in the blank there? I don't know what it might be for you. For some of you, it may be a bully at school. For some of you, the more I walk as a pastor, it may be, you know, Adam Brown's parents in that book went through years of heartache watching their son. They didn't know where he was some nights. For some of you, it may be one of your kids. For some of you, it may be a spouse. For some of you, it may be a coworker. For some of you, it may be a financial thing. For some of you, it may be your past. For some of you, it may be a difficult relationship. I don't know what it might be. 
what would you put in that box? Friends, I'm not naive. I know that just because we walk into a, a church building like this, it does not mean that our minds stop thinking about what's worrying or upsetting us. I've heard leaders over the years say, leave your problems outside and come and worship God. Can I just say what I suggest is better? Bring your problems in here. Bring your worries in here. Bring what's bothering you and bring it to Christ. Listen to Jesus. He's saying, he's diagnosing. And by the way, what we're learning in coaching is that Jesus is not a call out kind of Lord. He's a call in kind of Lord. He's a call up. He's saying, Martha, this is your opportunity. Here's the situation. You're worried and upset about many things. Let me just tell you, you're invited to focus on the one thing. Let me teach it to you. Martha, you can do this. He's calling her to choose. So what would it be for you? You know, in my life, I, I put in my, that blank for me, I put a relationship, a bad habit, a situation here at church. I put some of the things that get my attention during the week. And I'm telling you, Jesus once said on a hillside, he said, why do you worry about what you shall eat or what you shall drink or about what you shall wear? Does not your father care about you? Won't he help you take care of these things? And he says, look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. Look how God's working in them. And then he says, so do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear. Because the Gentiles, those who are outside of a covenant relationship with God, they run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom his reign over you. And all these things will be yours as well. The one thing, the one thing is me. The one thing is our, my kingdom. Seek it first. Oh, man. So the next thing is turn from doing life for me and do all of your life with me. Turn from doing life for me and do all of your life with me. Isn't that what happened to Martha? Martha thought, I'm doing this for the Lord. It's a good thing. Surely that'll mean something. But along the way, she got so involved in doing it for him that she started doing it apart from him, without him. And so he's going, no, 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 no. That's never what I was looking for, Martha. I'm not looking for you to do things for me. I'm actually doing fine. I want you to do life with me. Friends, if I could just teach you one thing in all the time I spend time with you, it would be this. God doesn't want us to become people who do good for him. He wants us to be people who do life with him. That's the difference in Christian life. Religion is all about what we do for God. Christianity is all about a relationship with God. Every part of our life. So, John 15, 5 he says, look, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, let's read it together. You can do what, friends? You say, I can drive a car. I can eat breakfast. I can go to school. Of course I can. He says, nothing of lasting value. Nothing that really matters in the long run. Come on. So it leads to this next idea. If I have your attention... I can direct and show you more. If I have your attention, I can direct and show you more. So here's, here's the picture I wanted to give you. Years ago, as I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking, why does he want my attention so much? 
Because see, if he doesn't have my attention, he can't show me things. If he doesn't have my attention, he can't guide and direct me because I'm like this nervous netty going off on my own. So what he showed me is one morning, if I'll just all throughout my day and especially the beginning of the day, I'll just turn to him and say, Lord, okay, you want to do this together? He'll put his arm around me and say, okay, now you know when you go to the office today, here's what I want to show you. Here's what I want you to do. You know when you interact with your wife today, here's how I want you to respond. You know, when you get in that situation where you don't know what to do, talk to me, I'll show you. And this idea of pray without ceasing sounds impossible to us. But the Bible says it's possible. Once a person is born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives. That's why we cannot live without being born again. The Holy Spirit lives in our lives and he begins to connect us. He is the... um, the one who helps us know the Lord this way. And so we can actually do everything with the Lord, not perfectly. Friends, let me say this, until heaven, that will never be perfect, but we can train in this. We can grow in this. Some of you know my favorite verse, in all your ways, in all your ways, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will what, friends? Direct your paths. My goodness, this is why he wants our attention, not because he's insecure. He's our life. He's the one thing. And when we make him the one thing, he can show us how to do life. The last line here that I want you to see is, Lord, I want you more than what's pulling me from you. Lord, I want you more than what's pulling me from you. This is the constant prayer of a person who's hungry. This is a constant prayer of someone who's humble. This is a constant prayer of someone who wants to be not only hospitable to the Lord, but others. You know, some of you say, how do you do this? When I was young, I heard of a man named Evan Welsh. He was a short little guy that lived in Wheaton. He was the chaplain at Wheaton College. I never met him. I only met his widow years later. But my friends had been influenced by Evan Welsh, and they told me stories about him. And Evan Welsh was a guy that had learned how to do the dual tracking thing I'm talking about. So they said, whenever you're with Evan, you could not believe how much attention he paid to you. But they learned later that while he was paying attention to you, he was constantly praying. He was saying, Lord, how do you want me to see this person? Lord, what is it that I may not be able to see on my own? Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to be about today? And he would just do that. They sometimes would see him picking up garbage at 1.30 in the morning when they'd be coming in from curfew. And what was he doing? They saw his lips moving. He was praying as he was picking up garbage. Some of you say, I don't think I can do more than one thing at once. Sure you can. Some of you remember Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Remember that famous song Snow White did as she was cleaning up the house of the dwarfs? Whistle while you work. If you can whistle while you work, can you pray while you work? Can you pray while you pick up the house? Can you pray when you're running after little bambinos? You can. You can. The question is, will we choose it? Will we say, Lord, show me how to give you my attention? Here's the last thing I want you to see. Turn to John 11. John 11. A couple things here. Do you notice the story ends and we don't see what Martha decides to do? And that's on purpose. Because... 
we find out later that she kept choosing the one thing more and more. So in John 11, verses 17 and following, look at this. On his arrival, Jesus found out that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So Martha and Mary, when their brother gets sick, they call for Jesus, but he's quite a ways away, and he actually delays as well. And then it says this. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. I already said that. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. Now listen to this. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Huh. There's an eagerness in Martha. Do you see it? Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Hear her heart? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Now look at on the screen. Let's read it together. Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. He showed her that because she gave him attention. Now, last thing I want to say. Last night, as I was laying in bed, I thought about this message, and I thought about Martha's response to the Lord, how cruddy it was. Anybody relate to that? Okay. And I thought, gosh. But then all of a sudden it hit me. But she came to Jesus with it. And once she came to Jesus with her cruddy attitude and her cruddy posture, Jesus could change her. Friends, if you think the Christian life is waiting to come to Jesus till you get your act together, he'll never come to Jesus. So here's what I want to invite you to do with this space. What is it that's worrying and upsetting you and distracting you and pulling you from the Lord right now? Can you give it to him? Can you acknowledge him with it? Can you say, oh, Lord, help me. I am even starting with a terrible attitude, but I'm coming to you. Change me. Show me. Transform me. Pray.